On the Virtual Bible Station tonight, we're going to continue talking about objections to baptism. Yeah, we at last week began this study. We found a, uh, an article by Dave Miller in which he cataloged 13 common objections to baptism, and he responded to them. We thought we would do that as well. Uh, we got through um, seven of the 13 last week, so we've got a, a little less than half of them to conclude tonight in our study. Objections to baptism. Why do people object? I think if they will just go to the scriptures, we can answer those objections. All right. We're going to get started on that important discussion right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931-381-4567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, October 7th, 2021. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you. Good to have you back this week. Glad to be back. And uh, Kyle is behind the controls. Kyle? Glad to be here. Glad you're back. Yeah, glad to be back. Uh, and uh, looking forward to hearing from you tonight at 931-381-4567 on the phone. Questions at collegeview.com on the email and on the chat window below your video feed. Sign in and chat with other listeners there on this important topic. All right. As we said, we came across a, 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 an article written by a preacher by the name of Dave Miller, and I think that name probably rings a bell with a, uh, several of our listeners. Um, and he had cataloged what he says 13 common objections to the practice of baptism, or especially baptism for the remission of sins. And so he addressed those, and he answered them. I think he did a, a worthy job of answering them. And we, and I think most of our listeners would likely agree with much of what he had to say. We're not, we're not, we're not attacking what he said. We're just, we're just taking his compilation of objections and and adding our own comments. Because, sadly, as we mentioned last week, baptism remains a a pretty highly controversial issue in the religious world, and it seems, to me, it seems surprising that it is because i think the new testament is really plain on the subject and we just want to look to the plain teaching of the new testament about baptism now in all fairness there are passages that say we're saved by faith uh and um so someone might say well look at that saved by faith that means you couldn't be saved by baptism no that doesn't necessarily what it mean what it uh, what you think it means there because We've got to interpret all of these verses in such a way that they work together in unison rather than forcing contradictions in the Scriptures. I think that's right. I mean, if you want to take one verse and take it out of its immediate context and its larger context of the whole Scripture, you could teach almost anything you want to teach. For instance, Romans 8, verse 24 says, For we are saved by hope. Oh, so all I have to do to be saved is hope that I'm saved. There you go. Uh, So, you know, hopefully that... Hopefully that illustrates the point that you got to take everything that the scripture says, specifically in the New Testament, you have to take all that it says about being saved from sin and and make them harmonize. Yeah. And so when the Bible says we're saved by faith, we believe that. 
But we understand as we look to the scriptures, the, the, the specific kind of faith, there's different kinds of faith. James said there's a dead faith. Dead faith doesn't save anybody. But, but the kind of faith that does save us is an active faith. Right. And so we we have to make the, the scriptures harmonize. We can't interpret any one scripture in such a way that it forces a contradiction with another scripture. And we believe that if you do that, if you take that approach, then you will come to the conclusion that baptism is required for salvation. It is not a work that you can boast in, not a work that earns or merits your salvation, but it is a work of obedience that God requires. And you know, Jacob, this is more than just a a theological discussion. This this is a critical issue, and so if we have people who are listening tonight who have never submitted to true New Testament baptism, uh, baptism by immersion for the remission of sins, uh, please carefully consider what we're saying and then if you see that it's true and i think it's true but it, i mean we'd be glad for you to point out if we've misinterpreted something but if you agree that it is true that the new testament teaches the necessity of baptism for the remission of sins and you've not done that we would urge you to get that done you don't fight with what the scriptures teach just yeah. submit to them it's so much simpler and it's it's the only way uh to have peace with yourself and with god is to just submit to what his scriptures teach uh, and uh, don't force an interpretation that just doesn't work right. in the scriptures. Right. Okay. All right. So we're not going to read these remaining objections all at once here at the start of our program, but we will uh, just take them one at a time. Oh, one, one, a uh, little bit of housekeeping before we get to that. We've got a gospel meeting coming up yeah. here at College View. And it won't start this Sunday. It will start a week from this Sunday. Ten days. Ten days from now uh, on the 17th. And uh, we we haven't put the announcement of that up on our on our homepage yet, but we will. <clears throat> so if you're listening in the Middle Tennessee area and you're within a driving distance of of Columbia, we hope that you'll sort of mark on your calendar that we've got a gospel meeting going the 17th through the 22nd, uh, and uh, we'll get we'll get that more of that information up on our website. But sort of make a mental note at least that that's going to be happening. 17th through the 22nd. Yeah. Okay. Is that All right? right? Something like that. Yeah, I believe that's right. Is that right, Kyle? Yeah. That's uh, yeah, Sunday through Friday. Yeah, yeah Sunday through uh, Friday. There you go. All right. Dwight, All right. And, Dwight and Michelle, if they just happen to be in the area, you know, stop on by. Yeah, you know, after work, Dwight and Michelle in Iowa can jump on the motorcycle and just, you know, cruise down here and be here by 7 o'clock yeah. uh, uh, for, the, for the gospel meeting. They might have to have, have snow tires on that uh, motorcycle. By <laughs> All right, so let's look at these six remaining objections to baptism. So we're going to number them the way that Dave Miller did in his article. And you can find the link to that article in our update that we sent out both last week and this week. Uh, if you're not getting our up, email updates, send us an email to questions at College View and tell us, add me to the list, and we'll do that. Objection number eight is this. Not only, so this is what people would say who are objecting to baptism. Not only is baptism non essential to salvation, even faith is a gift from God to a person. Man is so depraved that he's incapable of believing. All right. And so this actually takes it back a step. You can't, not, not only do you not have to be baptized, but you can't even believe unless God gives you the gift of faith. He, God has to act upon your heart because you are depraved and you are incapable of believing. And so God 
gives you the gift of faith. Mm-hmm. And so we ask our uh, our uh, email uh, update people, tell us what you think about that. I'm going to start it out, by uh, Jacob, by saying that concept, which actually is a, sort of a basic premise of Calvinism uh, that is widely believed in the religious world, but but that notion would have God being a respecter of persons, because obviously not everybody believes, and God gives faith to some. Obviously, he doesn't give it to all, and so that would make God a respecter of persons. He chooses to give this saving faith to some, but not to all. But in Acts chapter 10, verse 34, when Peter went to Cornelius, it says he opened his mouth and said of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Notice, to be accepted by God, you must fear him and work righteousness. Uh, And God's not a respecter of persons. If you do that, he'll accept you. But this whole idea that you have to just sort of wait, maybe God will give you faith, maybe he won't, that definitely makes God a respecter of persons. There is an aspect which this is true. Faith does come from God. Romans, Ephesians 2, verse 8, I think is where the, the, the objector would go to here. Say, by faith, grace you're saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. Faith is a gift from God. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 says, The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. God has made it possible for us to understand him and have faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Romans ten seventeen. So if it wasn't for the word of God, I couldn't have faith. But it doesn't mean that I'm not responsible for submitting to that and, and, and yeah. having that faith. I'm not, as the Calvinist says, incapable of doing anything towards God unless God moves on me in some way to enable that. Yeah. That's the, not the, what the scriptures teach. As, as Dave Miller put it, he said, these people teach man is so depraved that he is incapable of believing. Well, again, that's a contrary notion. That's the, that's not true to the scripture. Uh, Paul said in Ephesians 3, verse 3, By revelation God made known to me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Uh, in uh, um, chapter uh, uh, 5 of Ephesians, verse 17 be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. We're commanded to understand the will of the Lord. And if we're not capable of understanding it and developing faith, then, then those verses don't make any sense. Exactly. Matthew 23, verse 37, is Jesus is lamenting Jerusalem's rejection of him. Notice what he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chicken, chickens under her wings, and ye would not. God wants to save all. It's a matter of whether or not we'll be submissive to him and we'll believe and have the faith that he would have us to have. Yeah. Uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, God will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So, again, just taking passages out of context and not making them harmonize and come up with this idea that you have to have faith to believe, but you can't have it unless God somehow imparts it to you, doesn't harmonize with the other scriptures that say that God wants all to be saved and that it is possible for men to reject God. 
Let's go to our emails, Jacob. And I got to extend a, a, a continuing apology to uh, a number of our faithful responders who sent in emails last week. And we got almost halfway through the program for, before I realized I hadn't been referring to the emails. And so we're going to do a better job of that tonight and uh, extend apologies again to, to you guys who sent in uh your responses, and we didn't use them all through. We used them in the second half of the program, but not the first. Dwight, and Dwight sent his in, and they came in late. We didn't get uh, Dwight in Iowa. We didn't get his uh, comments last week at all, so we'll start off with him. What about this idea that faith is a gift, uh, and man is so depraved that he's incapable of believing? Dwight says, God gave man the free will to be obedient to his will, including having faith. Hebrews 10.36, the writer says, for ye have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. All right. Thanks, Dwight. Harold down in Alabama says, As usual, people tailor their response or objections to biblical truth based on their already established belief of traditional doctrine. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 is stating that salvation is only possible but required to please God. It's not only possible but required to please God. Exactly right. All right. All right. Uh, uh, I think see. part of his, uh, yeah, part of his response got cut off there. We may have to. Uh, I think we. You know, there was it. something really weird about the formatting. Yeah, uh, yeah, that doesn't. I tried to put some words together there, and, and I'm, I'm missing a big slug of each one of his. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll try to go back to that in a break right. and catch catch right. that. Chris, uh, Chris down in Atlanta still, or did Chris move? Yeah, no, I think he is. Chris, good to hear from Chris. Uh, he says that uh, there are several verses showing baptism is essential. As far as faith being a gift, I would disagree. God will not force us to believe or have faith. It is completely up to us to have faith. Man is not incapable of believing. God has given so much proof of who he is that we should be totally, we would have to be totally hardened and unwilling to look if we won't, don't believe. I've never seen oxygen, but I'm sure, I sure believe and know it exists. Yeah, thanks for that, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. God doesn't force us to believe. Or have faith. Uh, he's made faith possible through his word. The grace that has uh, revealed his will to us has made faith possible, but he doesn't force it on us. Thank you for that, Chris. Kent in Calhoun, Georgia, says, If man is incapable of believing, then one is not saved by one's personal faith. If saving faith is imparted directly by God, then it is the fault of God when individuals fail to have saving faith. Hebrews 11 refutes this Calvinistic false doctrine. Well, that's right. It lands in God's lap if people don't, aren't saved. If people and, and as I was saying faith. earlier, I think Kent's saying the same thing. It makes God a respecter of persons. Jim in Kentucky says, if man is depraved, then it was useless for Jesus to tell his disciples to go into the world and preach the gospel. It was not necessary for Cornelius to be told to send a Joppa for Peter in order to be told what to do to be saved. If man is depraved and cannot of his own accord hear, understand, and believe, then the Bible itself is a useless book for God has provided it, knowing that we cannot read and understand, yet he himself reveals all scripture is given by inspiration of God that, and is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for understanding in righteousness, 2 Timothy 3.16, and also preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. If man is depraved and incapable of believing on his own without God, miraculously instilling in him faith, then preaching the gospel to anyone is useless. Preachers are useless as God must personally... Touch the heart of one to change that one and cause them to believe. God says, so that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10, verse 17. Thank you for that, Jim. 
And then finally, Grant in Franklin, Tennessee, says, We know that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word, by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. Also, we are called through the gospel, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 14, and that the gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, Romans 1, 16. It is through hearing the word of God that we are called, and we know that we can understand it for the apostle Paul wrote, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, Ephesians 3, verse 4. Thank you, Dwight, right. or sorry, Grant, for that. Yeah, and I think we've got, I, I think we've kind of came uh, came to that conclusion from several different directions, but that, that view that... Faith itself, much less baptism, is just something that does, God does it. It's all on God's end. You can't even believe unless God acts upon your heart. Man's so depraved that he's incapable of believing. Just not true. And you, but if you start with a faulty groundwork or foundation, then you're just going to go all askew as you try to build on that. Trying to force, as I think Harold mentioned, you got to try to force what you want to believe into the scriptures rather than let the scriptures uh, dictate uh, what we believe. Yeah. We're going to take a break. And when we get back up, Kevin's in the chat room. Good to see Kevin and Rick and uh, Grant and Janie are there and Dwight and Michelle. Uh, We want to hear from you in the chat room tonight. Send in your comments there. Don't go anywhere. We got a really common objection coming up from Acts 2.38. Oh, cover it next. All right. Four is what does the word for me? We're going to get to that right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. Here's a quick thought. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. 1 John 3.18 True love is not just lip service, but action. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. John 14, 15. What actions will you take today to demonstrate your love? Seize the day. Here's some quotes worth pondering. It's so hard when I have to, and so easy when I want to. Heed the advice of him who loves you, though you like it not at present. Everyone who got where he is had to begin where he was. Man, wish I'd said that. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight looking at uh, 13 objections to baptism. Actually, we're looking at the second half of those, uh, finishing up what was started last week. And on to objection number nine. Yeah, objection number nine says the preposition for... Uh, in the in the phrase for the remission of sins in Acts two thirty eight means actually means because of hence the people were baptized because of sins for which they were forgiven when they believed so you know a lot of times I think people think that we as members of the Church of Christ you know this is our ultimate favorite verse uh, and it's the only one we have that's the only verse we ever refer to it's not but it is a powerful verse. Acts 2.38, after preaching to the assembled people on the day of Pentecost, when they asked, what shall we do? Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, this objection, as is stated in the article by Dave Miller, is people would try to argue that repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for or because 
your sins have already been forgiven. Be baptized because your sins have already been forgiven. The idea is, and sometimes, and we and we talked a little bit about this last week on one of the other objections. The idea is you really are baptized not to be saved, but to show that you already are. You're baptized as an outward sign of an inward grace. You're baptized because your sins have been forgiven, and you do it to show that your sins have been forgiven. And so they would have this word, this preposition for, for the remission of sins to mean because of. Mm-hmm. Now, understand in English, sometimes we use the word for that way. It's, it's, it's a little bit archaic construction, but I think people would understand. Um, I was really upset when it rained yesterday for I had washed my car earlier in the day. Well, there the preposition for means because. I was upset when it rained because I had washed my car earlier in the day. And so in in English, it can mean that. But remember, of course, that the New Testament wasn't written originally in English. It was written in Greek. And that preposition in Greek is the word ice. If we were going to spell it with English letters, we would spell it E-I-S. And and it's pronounced ice. Mm Mm-hmm. And if you're the, the King James Version translates it for, for the remission of sins. Newer English translations will translate it unto. Uh, so you're baptized unto the remission of sins. That makes it clear that baptism is to get to that point. You don't, you're not being baptized because you already have the remission of sins. You're, you're being baptized in order to reach that point of remission of sins. It's unto the remission of sins. Uh, and, and actually, all Greek scholars agree to that. I mean, th- this argument as is posed is an incredibly weak argument that is without support from any Greek lexographer. A couple of uh, e- easy uh, ways to show that this doesn't make sense. Is another three-letter word in that passage, and that's the word "and." Repent and be baptized for the mission of sins. So, if you're baptized because your sins are already forgiven, does that mean you repent because your sins are already forgiven? Well, that forces a contradiction with other passages that say we have to repent or else we're going to perish. We're not going to be saved if we continue to live in sin. So that shows me that the word "for" can't mean because my sins are already forgiven. Yeah, because whatever happens with repent also happens with baptism. We're tied in with the word "and." So. Take them independently. Repent for the remission of sins. Be baptized for the remission of sins. Well, they're saying that baptized for the remission of sins means you're baptized because your sins have been forgiven. And as you're saying, if that's true, then grammatically, necessarily so, it would have to be you you repent because your sins have already been forgiven. But people who are trying to deny baptism don't believe that. They don't believe you that repentance comes later. They they believe that you must repent unto in order to achieve the remission of sins. And if that's true, as you said right there in Acts 2.38, repentance and baptism are linked with a conjunction and whatever is true of one has to be true of the other. You repent so that your sins can be forgiven. You're baptized so that your sins can be forgiven. Rick in the chat room says, for in Acts 2.38 means... it mean, uh, it means because of, as denominationalists, if it, if it means because of, as denominational, denominationalists say, it must mean the same thing in Matthew 26, verse 28, where Jesus said his blood would be shed for many for the remission of sins. Both are translated from the same Greek word. If it means because of, then Jesus' death was completely unnecessary for the sins of the world would have already been forgiven. 
is obvious. Uh, it was in order that sins might be forgiven. I think I think Rick makes it. Uh, probably the most powerful argument here in explanation of that of that phrase, that prepositional phrase for the remission of sins in Acts 2.38. The exact, I mean letter for letter, exact same phrase in the Greek language is found in Matthew 26.28. Jesus said, this is the blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And as Rick pointed out, Obviously, he he didn't shed his blood because sins had already been forgiven. He shed his blood in order that sins could be forgiven. And so I think Rick has got, I think that's the definitive argument on this question. And and if you're listening uh, and haven't done so already, I think it'd be a, a good thing to write in the margin of your Bible there at Acts 2.38. Write Matthew 26.28. Because they are parallel expressions, and it's so clear what it means in in Matthew 26, and therefore it means the same thing in Acts 2. All right, to the emailers tonight, we go to Dwight, who says, in this verse, I believe Peter is saying, repent and be baptized for, that is to say, in order to have sins forgiven, the forgiveness of sins the forgiveness of your sins. You see, repenting does not have your sins removed. It is through baptism, just as Peter was told in Acts, or Paul was told in Acts 22, rise and be baptized and wash away your sins. These people had just asked Peter, what must we do? Did Peter tell them, believe for the forgiveness of sins? No. Repent and be baptized was his response. Harold, oh, we've got a new printout here. This looks makes a lot more sense. Harold says the same language is used in Matthew twenty six twenty eight, which would suggest that Jesus shed his blood because everyone's sins were already forgiven. Also, if if their interpretation is right, right. Also, Mark one verse four, John was preaching a baptism of repentance because their sins were already forgiven without repentance. Doesn't make sense. Yeah. The, that that understanding of that prepositional phrase for the remission of sins. It doesn't make sense anywhere else where the same phrase is used. It doesn't make any sense for it to mean because of. And it doesn't mean because of in Acts 2 either. Uh, let's see. This is Chris down in Georgia. For could mean because of, but read in context, it does not here. I don't know anyone who argues the fact that repentance is required for salvation. If for here meant because of, then repenting is only because we've already had, uh, already been saved, and we know this is not the case. This verse has that pesky little word, and, which joins repentance and baptism, so both are essential. Kent in Calhoun says the preposition for, or the Greek word ice in Acts 2.38, as it relates to the remission of sins, cannot be translated because of remission of sins. Number one, for number reason number one, the preposition ice is exclusively used in the New Testament in the accusative case and is denoting entrance into the direction and limit into or two towards, four or among. Thayer, page 138. Reason number two, the term four in Matthew 26, verse 28, is the same term, ice, translated four in Acts 2.38. Jesus shed his blood in order for, to, to the remission of sins, not because of the remission of sins. New Testament baptism thus is four and two in order to the remission of sins. Any baptism because of the remission of sins is unscriptural and not a valid New Testament baptism. Yeah. Jim in Kentucky says the same exact phrase, word for word in Greek, is found in both Matthew 26, 28 and Acts 2, 38. Matthew 26, 28, Jesus said, For this is my body, for this is my body of the New Testament, which is, or this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the mission of sins. He said that it was something yet to be done. His shedding of blood 
had not yet happened. But when it did, it would be used to remit the sins of mankind. He spoke of an evident or event in the future, and the word for Greek ice was used for to reference something yet to happen. The same exact phrase is found in Acts 2.38. Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. The exact same phrase and same exact words in the Greek. If, someone, if, if it meant something yet to happen in Matthew 26, it means the same thing in Acts 2.38. Uh, people are to repent and be baptized in order to receive something they do not have, remission of sins. Thank you for that, Jim. And then Grant says, For is a preposition governing the, the accusative and denoting entrance into or direction and limit into, in, or towards, for, among, motion toward, either real or implied. Thank you for that, Grant. So I think uh, folks who do, uh, folks who want to deny the necessity of baptism, understand they have got a huge hurdle at Acts 2.38. Uh, and, and so they have, they have worked hard and tried to imagine possible alternative explanations. They just don't work. I mean, Acts 2.38 is too clear. To people, Peter had just preached a sermon on the day of Pentecost. People's hearts were convicted. They were guilty. They understood they were guilty of killing God's own son. And they said, men and brother, what shall we do? Well, basically, the explanation that these other folks are suggesting, Peter's basically saying you really don't have to do anything because your sins have already been forgiven. Just be baptized to show it is so. And that's, that doesn't even fit contextually with what's going on. Right. Uh, they said, what should we do? And Peter answered him, what you've got to do is you've got to repent and be baptized for or unto the remission of sins. All right. We need to get a break and get this week's bullet point. When we get back, uh, next one. Oh, What about the Philippian jailer? Uh, what was said to the uh, Philippian jailer? Okay. Forget that on the other side of the break. Brian uh, sends a message. He's not in the chat room tonight. He forgot his computer at work. He's having to watch on his TV. Oh, man. Hey, Brian, get your feet off the coffee table, if you don't mind there, and uh, <laughs> set up straight. No slouching. We're going to get a break, and we'll be back right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. We frequently hear complaints about local churches. That's nothing new. In fact, there were some folks complaining about the church in its very earliest days. See Acts 6, beginning verse 1. And we know that some criticism is fully justified and is offered in a constructive way that will hopefully bring needed changes. However, we feel that there is a troubling trend evidenced by the kind of criticism that is often leveled against local congregations. Seldom, if ever, do we hear folks say things like, I'm disturbed that this church is not more active in the realm of evangelism, or it really upsets me that we're not supporting more preachers. And we never hear, I just think we ought to have more gospel meetings. What we do hear is things like, I just don't think this is a friendly church, and there are just not enough social activities, especially for the young folks, or people here really don't seem to care about each other. Two observations need to be made. First, a local church is not a social institution. While it is important for people to have social interaction, God placed all such responsibilities in the realm of the home, not the church. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 34. If your main concern is about social things, you need to come to a better understanding of the work and function of the Lord's church. Second, those who level these charges should spend some time looking in the mirror. If there are problems, if there are areas that need improvement, 
What are you doing to bring about those changes? Complaints about the church are not new. Oftentimes they are needed and helpful. But if you complain, be sure you're willing to lend a hand to make the needed improvements. Let's work together to make the church everything that God would have it to be. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I am Nestor Sanchez from Arica, Chile in South America. And I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program, too. Gracias. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. We're back on the program tonight. Reminding us, program is brought to you by the College U Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more at thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeu.com. And there's some YouTube channel. I, I don't know. It's, well, it's, yeah. Is it even worth mentioning, yeah. Kyle? Yeah, the College View Live That's screen. it. Yeah, That's it. Now I remember. A lot of good lessons, a lot of Bible studies. Uh, yeah, so which got... Yeah. Continuing right. in Hebrews, and we had some very good Bible studies. And our Bible, and our hopefully we will be able to air our uh, our fall gospel meeting here. Now, can soon. I can I subscribe to that channel, Kyle? Well, well, you can just uh, subscribe. Just that subscribe yeah. button. Yeah. yeah, I think there's a little maybe you can it's have no, it be reminded. Of there's See, I never have done that on a YouTube channel, but I guess if you subscribe, then you actually get a notification when something new goes up. I think Is that a true? Way to, you can do that. Yeah. 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 So and, yeah you can actually set the, the there's a little bell. You have to like. If you don't want any updates, if you want some, or all, you can just click the it's little bell. Little thing, yeah. yeah, okay. okay right. Good. Kyle, keep your feed going there. Um, all right. We're talking about objections. To you know, we're going to have to speed up, Jacob. We've got six to cover, and we've covered two in half of the program, so you, we're going to have to speed up here a little bit. But, you know, a lot of these objections, these are, these are so prominent in Protestant denominations today. And if you follow them back to the origin of where these denominations originated, and even these doctrines, John Calvin and other reformers, they were, they were responding to the shenanigans that were going on in the Catholic Church. Indulgences. i got to whisper all my sins in the priest's ear. He's going to tell me what kind of penance I have to do, how many Hail Marys I have to do, and how many hoops i got to jump over, and all these things i got to do in order to have my sins forgiven that are just made up. Totally just fabricated and elevating the priest to some type of position they shouldn't be in and putting them between you and God. Well, the reformers, that pendulum swinging the other way here, you can see, well, there's nothing I have to do. All I have to do is believe none of the shenanigans that the Catholic Church is telling me to do. So you're well, saying when it was they, an overreaction. When they, yeah, when they, when they swung that way, they swung, swung past what the scriptures teach about being obedient to God rather than the Catholic Church. Okay, good. I think that's a good observation. Uh, let's go quickly. Objection number 10. When the Philippian jailer asked what to do to be saved, he was simply told to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the text in question is Acts chapter 16. Remember, Paul and Silas had been thrown in prison in Philippi. There was a great earthquake. The, the prison doors were open. The jailer, thinking all of his prisoners escaped, was about to commit suicide. Uh, Paul stopped him, uh, said... In verse 28 of Acts 16, do thyself no harm, we are are all here. Then the jailer called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Stop. Now that's what it said. So we have to, when this objector says he was told, he was simply told to believe on the Lord Jesus, that's the answer. He was told, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved in thy house. But that's not the end of the story. The next verse, they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. 
And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straightway. And when he had brought them to the house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his heart. So notice, he was told to believe, to be saved. At the end of that, in verse 34, he rejoiced, believing in God. But what was in between? He was told to believe, and at the end of the, of, of the account, it says he did believe. What was involved in between there? He, he was taught, and he was baptized. Interestingly, he was baptized in the same hour of the night. It was sometime after midnight. He took them out of the prison and was baptized sometime in the wee small hours of the morning. Why would he do that? If it wasn't necessary, why would he do that? You know, actually, he was risking his own life by getting those prisoners out of jail. If if his superior officers had found him with those prisoners out of jail, he probably would have been executed. So it, it seems clear that in what they taught him, he understood the necessity and urgency of baptism in order to do it as it was done in the text. Again, as you said earlier, Jacob, putting it all together, it seems clear that believing on the Lord Jesus Christ there suggests an active faith that provokes obedience. Certainly not the pattern we see in the denominational world today. Peter or Paul would have just told me, hey, you know what? We do a baptism on the first Sunday of every quarter or... Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, uh, baptism, maybe Paul would have said baptism is a good thing to do, but I mean, yeah, not right we, now. We, we got hey, troubled right now. Let's lay, I mean, we yeah, need to get some shut eye here. Yeah, we just yeah. got to just well, kind of lay low. Got, I guess it's a golden opportunity for uh, faith only because they're in jail and his family is like, you know what, just believe. Take it home. You believe. Go home. We're and good. His family good. believes. We're good. And we'll get together we'll later to on this baptism we'll thing. Yeah. yeah, when we see how this is all going to shake out here on this yeah. court case, we're in jail. We got our lives. Our lives are at risk. Not not only ours, but yours. Just, we sure don't want to do anything to endanger lives any more than we already are. Just say the sinner's prayer and let's get on with this yeah, stuff. This yeah. But it's clearly not what happened. And so we're asking people, look to the whole of the story, not just take one phrase and and force a conclusion that does not even fit with the the the, the immediate the context, immediate text. but then the context of the Bible as a whole. Because again, we can't say, well, all he had to do, all the the jailer had to do was believe. But then we see the other passages say you have to repent and be baptized. You have to believe and be baptized. Baptism saves us. Well, I can harmonize those if I understand that this faith must be. Uh, yeah, a comprehensive thing, a, a, a faith that causes me to obey, and yeah. that's why the faith would save me. Real quick, let, we got to move quick. I, 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 let me help you with these emailers real quick. Jacob Dwight uh, references the text uh, uh, in Acts 16. He says they were, uh, they, verse 32, they spoke the word to them. They were given the instructions to be saved. Those instructions had to do uh, with and included baptism. Uh, because that immediately followed the teaching of the word. He references Philip and the eunuch. He, Philip taught Jesus to the eunuch, and, and the eunuch said, himself said, See, here is water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? That's in Acts 8. Okay, Harold says they conveniently admit verses 32 through 34. Then believing in God included all that had been done. Sounds a lot like he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, Mark sixteen sixteen to me. Yeah, Chris says, when you believe on someone, you obey what they say to do. Suppose the head coach of Alabama, Nick Saban, told me I could be a great quarterback if I believe in him. Believing in him would not mean I could sit on my couch all day and eat Cheetos and drink soda and expect to be a great quarterback. 
believing in him would mean I show up to practice and work hard to do what Saban told me to do. Chris, we're going to give you a little pass on that. We don't like references to Alabama football in Tennessee, but we'll give you a little pass on uh, that. Yeah, that doesn't negate what you said. Good <laughs> yeah. point. Uh, Kent says Acts sixteen thirty one does not state that faith was the only condition stated for salvation to the Philippian jailer. Acts sixteen thirty two say that Paul and Silas spake unto them the word of the Lord. Acts eight thirty three indicates that the jailer and all of his house were baptized immediately. Sorry, I think that's sixteen thirty three. Such is not faith only yeah, salvation. Yeah, and and I really think that the, that the faith he was told to have was that, as you use the expression, comprehensive faith and inclusive faith, faith that acts. Uh, yeah, right. Yes, uh, Jim says uh, he says the same exact phrase. Let's see, no, it is true that the Philippian jailer was told to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved in thy house, Acts 16.31. But the jailer did not know what it meant to believe. And that is why Paul and Silas spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. He then took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straightway, Acts 16.32 and 33. He was told what to do, then he was told how to do it. To believe on Jesus is to hear the gospel, believe it, confess Christ, repent of sins, and be baptized. Grant says... Um, in this example, you need to continue to read several verses further down. Let's look at what the text says, and he goes on down. Um, and uh, not only was the jailer told to believe in the Lord Jesus, but at that very hour of the night he was baptized, he and all his household. So when Paul and Silas spoke the word of the Lord to him, together with those who were in the house, they must have discussed the topic of baptism, because he and his all his household were baptized immediately. Yeah, I think, as Grant said, just you got to read the whole story. and 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 the whole story will explain itself. What was included in believing in the Lord Jesus, his obedience. Let's grab one more quickly. Kevin says, a couple of months ago, a denominational follower pressed me to tell her what church I identified with. I said the Church of Christ. She responded sarcastically, you're one of those people that love baptism. The denomination she identifies with is Baptist. This response seemed <laughs> ironic. I, I think so, too, uh, uh, Kevin. I, you know. They are Baptist, but they want to deny the necessity of baptism. Yep. All right. Interesting. Real quick, let's grab objection number 11. Saul was saved before and without baptism while he was on the road to Damascus when Jesus appeared to him. That is absolutely false. Acts 9, the story of, of, of Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus is in Acts 9. We won't take time to read all that. But he saw and spoke to the Lord. And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. It says that he arose and, and was led by the hand into the city, and he was three days without sight, didn't eat or drink. And a man named Ananias was sent to him. And we know what Ananias said to him because Paul recounts that story in Acts 22. A man named Ananias came to him and said in Acts twenty two sixteen. Now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So this was three days after he'd seen the Lord on the road to Damascus. He was left blind. He was fasting and praying for three days. He was still in his sins. Ananias said, Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And so he was not saved on the road to Damascus. He was not saved by faith only. He His sins were washed away when he was baptized. He had faith on the road to Damascus, verse 6 of Acts chapter 9. He believed Jesus. Called he him asked, Lord. asked him what he needed to do. 
So faith did not save him. He still had sins in Acts 22 when Ananias got to him there in Damascus. He was praying when he got to Damascus, waiting on Ananias to get there. Clearly the sinner's prayer doesn't save you because he still had sins when Ananias got to him. Baptism was required for the remission of sins to wash his sins away. Uh, here's what Dwight says. Uh, this is this is a false understanding of Paul's conversion. Paul was told in Acts 9, verse 6, to get up and enter the city. Then it would be told him what he must do. Verse 18 sums it up. Paul was told he needed to be baptized. Yeah, uh, Harold says uh, Paul himself said that he arose and was baptized and washed away his sins. Uh, submitting to the authority of the Lord, that happened in Damascus, not before. And he references Acts twenty-two eleven through sixteen. Acts twenty-two is Paul retelling what happened in Acts nine, when his sins were washed away. Uh, when were his sins washed away before he got to Damascus? When were they washed away before he got to Damascus, or when he was in Damascus? Uh, Luke, by inspiration, states that Paul himself said it was in Damascus when his sins were washed away. Therefore, it couldn't be on the road. He said, uh, I guess they want us to believe that Paul didn't know what he was talking about. Um, Here's what Chris says. Then why was he told to go and wait to be told what to do? After days, he was told to be baptized and wash away his sins. If he was already saved, why did he need his sins washed away? Uh, Good question. Jim says... um, Nowhere in the accounts recorded in the book of Acts is it stated that Saul was saved on the road to Damascus when Jesus appeared to him. In Acts 22.10, it indicates that Christ instructed him to go into the city. It would be told him what things God had appointed him to do. Acts 22.16 states that he needed to arise and be baptized and wash away his sins, calling on the Lord. That was actually Kent. Oh, that was Kent. I'm sorry. The real real Jim says if Saul was saved before and without baptism, then... He was saved while waiting for someone to tell him what to do, Acts 9, verse 6. He was saved being blind and without eating for three days, Acts 9, 8, and 9. He was saved while he was still praying for help, Acts 9, verse 11. He was saved waiting for someone to come and make him to see again, Acts 9, verse 12. Later, when Paul himself accounts of this event, he says that Ananias told him, Now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized to wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord, Acts 22, 16. Meaning that Paul was saved. While still in his sins. Yeah. And of course, this is so critical to answering this objection. You got to link the, the initial story with Paul explaining the story. The initial story happens in Acts 9, and Paul explains it. Paul himself explains it in Acts 22, especially Acts 22 16. And Grant says in the account of Saul's conversion, when Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus, Je- Jesus instructed him to get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. Even though Jesus appeared to him, there were other things that he must do when he entered the city of Damascus. And we know that while on the road to Damascus, he was still in his sins. For after coming into the city, Ananias instructed him to arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. All right. Let's grab our last break. And when we come back, we've got two more objections to go to. And we've got to go quickly to the top of the hour. Rick in the chat room uh, is commenting on the Philippian jailer. He says he was as far from salvation as he could possibly be. Paul started where he was to teach him. Faith is the start. He was 11, verse 6. He was an unbeliever. Thus, Paul told him to believe. That didn't mean that that was the only requirement. We must also read further in the account to see what he did. He was baptized. It was completely this. It completely harmonizes with what Jesus said in Mark sixteen, fifteen, and sixteen. And then Rick adds about Saul. He says he was told Ananias would tell him what he must do. In every account of this time in Saul's life, we find only one thing he was told he, to do. 
after he got to the city, Acts twenty two sixteen. Right. Uh, it's interesting. That's the only thing it was told to do. Yeah. Here. Well, yeah. Okay. okay. All right. Now, Rick referenced Mark sixteen fifteen and sixteen, and that's the, going to be the basis of the next question. So let's get back after this. We're break. going fast to the top of the hour. Right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Tonight on Channel 8 WSIN, it's TV like you've never seen it before. Starting at 8, it's TV's funniest new comedy, Fornication in the City, and Marie has been misbehaving again. Guess what? I just cheated on my husband. He doesn't even know about it. (laughs) And then at 8.30, it's the show that's setting the standard. You won't want to miss this week's I Love This World, where Bob makes a great announcement. Well, I think it's time you knew the truth. I'm gay. (laughs) And at 9 o'clock, it's the show that Television Magazine has called the number one drama for murder and violence. You won't want to miss this week's In Cold Blood to see who will be the next to be gunned down. It all starts tonight at 8 o'clock on Channel 8 WSIN. I'm Greg Gwynn reminding you that sin is a terrible thing and that those who are entertained by watching others sin fall under the condemnation of God that is mentioned in Romans 1.28. Be careful what you watch on television because in spite of what the devil wants you to think, sin is always sin and it's never funny. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. A survey looked at married couples that stay together versus those who divorce. Researchers found that the ones who were in happy relationships had a 5 to 1 ratio of good exchanges to bad. People who ultimately divorced had just 0.8 happy encounters for every one negative interaction. It was further observed that positive interactions don't just happen on their own. They must be consciously pursued. That information is via goodnet.org. The Word of God says in Romans 14, verse 19, So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The virtual Bible study. Take it away, guys. We're back, and we've got our running shoes on. We're going fast to the top of the hour. Two more objections to look okay, at. Okay, objection number 12. If baptism is necessary to salvation, Jesus would have said, He who does not believe and is not baptized will be condemned in Mark 16:16. 16, 16. Now, just stop for just a minute. Mark 16, 16, let's make sure we, we have it exactly as worded in the King James Version, at least. Mark 16, 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And so this objection is, if baptism is necessary, Jesus would have said, he who does not believe and is not baptized will be condemned. Well, and there's a second part to that, by the way. Hang on just a minute. I won't get the second part of that objection. You know, it, to me, that's always been such a senseless argument. He didn't have, so, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. What do you have to do to be saved? You have to believe and be baptized. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. There's that conjunction and. It links belief and baptism. What do you, so, question, what do you have to do to be saved? Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Okay, question, what do you have to do to be damned? He that believeth not shall be damned. All you have to do to be condemned eternally to hell is not believe. So the, 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 that verse answers two questions. What do you do to be saved? Repent, or, uh, believe and be baptized. What do you do to be lost or damned? Just don't believe. I mean, how, how simple can that be? Obviously, a person who 
doesn't believe is also not going to be baptized. I mean, that's so obvious it wouldn't. It doesn't even have to be stated. Yeah. It's just. I, I just think that's just a ridiculous argument. Then the the objector goes on to say, besides this, the last 12 verses of Mark 16 are not included in the oldest and best Greek manuscripts. You know, whole books have been written uh, on the last verses of uh, uh, Mark 16, the last 12 verses of Mark 16. Uh, I'm of the opinion, based upon the reading I've done of it, that those verses do belong there. They are omitted from some manuscript copies, and we understand that. I'm of the opinion, and I think a lot of people are, that those verses actually belong there at the end of Mark 16. But if you took them away, it would not destroy the the, the clear case for baptism and its necessity for the remission of sins. Well, this just shows you, again, the idea that people are coming to the Scriptures, they're taking one verse and standing on it and forcing contradictions to others and having to do these gymnastics with interpreting these verses that are so clear because they want to stand on one verse and, and, and interpret it in such a way that forces contradictions. We don't have to do that. We can harmonize. And we don't have to twist and manipulate any verse if we'll take them all in context and make them all harmonize. And 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 it's not that we we base our position on one verse, Mark sixteen sixteen. Again, take the verse away. I don't think I, I think it legitimately belongs there. That's a debatable subject, and it's and volumes have been written about the last twelve verses of Mark sixteen. But if you were to conclude that those verses don't belong in our Bible, that still doesn't destroy the case for baptism and its necessity. And do you want to just roll the dice with your soul like that and say, well, you know, I think what it really meant there, even though it says he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, what I, th- I think it, I think belief is going to be enough. You know, I think I'm just going to know. You know, you could do it this way. What if you're, what if Kyle, what if you're laying in the bed sick? And I know that the doctor's got medicine that'll make you get over that. And I said, Kyle, if you want to get, if you want to be healed from this disease, you need to go to the doctor and get the medicine. But if you want to die, just don't go to the doctor and stay there in bed. Now, would anyone say, well, all I got to do is go to the doctor? No, you got to get the medicine. And go that's to what, the doctor and get the medicine. Go to the doctor and but get the medicine. But if you want to die, just stay in bed. Don't, don't go. go to the doctor. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing. And, but people are, are, again, forcing these contradictions by taking a few passages out of context and standing on them and interpreting them in ways that does not harmonize with the Bible. Quickly, Dwight in Iowa says, Mark 16, 16, one needs to understand that if one believes and is baptized, they will be saved. But in reading further, he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. If one does not believe in the first place, they would not need to worry about baptism because they don't believe in Jesus anyway, and they don't believe in being baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Ah, Harold's bringing a good one here. He says, Jesus said, he who does not believe is condemned already, John chapter 3, verse 18. Well, that's, a good, that's a good verse to have in, in parallel, yeah. John 3, 6, uh, 3, 3 18. 18. All right. Chris uh, says, uh, if baptism is necessary, let's see, even if the last verses of Mark do not belong, we have plenty of other verses showing the purpose of baptism. It would be redundant for Jesus to have said and is not baptized. If someone does not believe, then what good would baptism do? Kent says Jesus would not have stated, he who is not baptized shall be condemned for baptism to be, uh, he wouldn't have to say that in order for baptism to be a condition of salvation. Such would not be any more necessary to the truthfulness of stating he that eats and digests food shall live, but he that does not eat food shall die. That was, again, a parallel illustration, a very easily understood. One does not have to state and does not, uh, 
one does not have to state that he who does not digest food will die in order for the digestion process to be essential to that of living. If one does not eat food, he cannot digest that which is not eaten. If one does not believe the gospel, one cannot be baptized where there's no faith because faith is a condition of baptism. Uh, Christ joins both faith and baptism as conditions of salvation, just like both eating and digesting are physiologically necessary to that of living. He says, he goes on to say, the, la- the reason the last 12 verses of Mark 16 are not included in some manuscripts is due to the fact that they, are, they were per- partially destroyed uh, or somehow worn off of the manuscripts. These same manuscripts leave many other verses out of the text, including the whole book of Revelation. These same individuals who reject Mark 16, 16 as a part of the extant text have no problem in accepting the book of Revelation, especially Revelation 20, verses 1 through 6, which teach premillennialism. This proves the inconsistency of their false doctrine. And Jim says, if God issues a command that includes two actions, then that must be accomplished in order for his will to be done. And we only do one action, then we have not accomplished his will. Mark 16, 16 says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Therefore, if one is simply... If one simply is baptized but does not believe, then they're not saved. And that is exactly what the rest of the verse says. But he that believeth not shall be damned. Obeying only one part of the command and ignoring the other negates the positive outcome saved of the command. Beyond this, there is an order of in the command. Belief first, then baptism. If one does not follow the order, belief or baptism, then belief. Or one does not include a portion of the command, refuses baptism. Then again, they negate the outcome of the command. The excuse, for, the excuse with respect to the last 12 verses of Mark is just that, an excuse. There are enough manuscripts to suggest that it is true. Beyond this, baptism is taught in other verses. Yeah. And Grant says, one must believe and be baptized in order to be saved. If one does not believe, then it does not matter whether he is baptized, gets wet or not. In either case, he he does not meet the requirement in order to be saved. There are many other verses to go to in the Bible to show the necessity of baptism. Acts 2.38, 1 Peter 3.21, Acts 22.16. All right, real quick, we've got to take this last one. We've got to go fast. Uh, the final 13th objection is Romans 10, 9 and 10 indicates that all one needs to do is believe and confess Jesus. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Agreed that those verses do not mention baptism. But notice that they don't also don't mention repentance. Repentance is not. So uh, to the person who wants to say, well, I'm just going to hang my hat on Romans 10, 9 and 10, because all it says is you have to believe and confess Jesus. Well, what about repenting? So here, here's the here's the guy who's a bank robber. Does he have to stop being a bank robber? Well, sure. Yeah. He's got to, so you're saying he's got to repent to be saved. Yeah. Yeah. He's got to. Well, it's not in those verses. But it's in other verses. And that what we said from the outset is we've got to take the whole whole of information and put it all together. Now, wait, wait a minute, though, because this brings in another requirement that we hadn't talked about yet, and that is confession. Paul didn't tell the Philippian jailer to confess. Yeah. Now, is it faith only or is it faith and confession? What's the deal here? I, somebody's got. We're going to have to get to the bottom of this because I was told just a minute ago that all I have to do is believe because that's what the Philippian jailer was told. Now you're trying to slide something else in here. Yeah. Where does that come from? And how does that, how do I make all that work? So how we make it work is we take all of the information and we put it all together to see the total picture. Back to and, the idea and, that. And, and these and these accounts, by the way, are not contradictory one another. 
They actually supplement one another. And they didn't they, say faith only to the Philippian jailer. We again say that that faith is a comprehensive term that represents yeah. faith that responds to the will that God has revealed to us. Exactly right. Um, real quickly, we're just we're completely out of time. Confessing Jesus to be the Son of God is necessary as well as believing. So is hearing, repenting, baptism, and remaining faithful. We can't pick and choose what we think is important. We have to go to the Scriptures, and all of these items are necessary in order to be pleasing to God. That's what uh, Dwight says. Uh, Harold references, he says, Romans 6, verses 1 through 4, which is before Romans 10, says otherwise. Talks about baptism. Yeah. Yeah. Chris uh, says, again, when you believe in someone, you obey them. Yep. Kent says uh, Romans 10, 9, and 10 does not exclude baptism. Such proves that confessing Christ is essential to salvation. In consideration of Acts eight thirty seven. this confession of Christ must be made prior to baptism for such to be valid. Jim says if one only reads Romans 10, 9, and 10, then they have not read enough to understand what it means to be saved. For the inspired writer goes further in verses 11 through 17 to explain what it means, especially the phrase in verse 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When one looks at Acts 9.21, we find that Christians, those who heard the gospel, believed Jesus to be the Christ, confessed him as Christ, repented of their sins, and were baptized. They were referred to as those who called upon the name of the Lord. To call upon his name is to seek him for help and to ask for his help. Uh, beyond this, Romans 9, uh, the verses 9 and 10 in Romans 10 mentions nothing about hearing the gospel or repenting of sins. By this logic, then, uh, verses 9 and 10, one doesn't need to hear and he doesn't need to repent. And that contradicts the plain teaching of Scripture on baptism. And, on salvation, right? and Grant says what individuals are missing is that you need to harmonize all that God says has said on a particular subject in order to come to the truth. Psalm 119, verse 160 states, the sum of thy word is truth. I like that. The sum of thy word is truth. You got to take it all together. All right. Good good discussion tonight. Good feedback from our listeners. Kevin says he's winded after our brisk race. So are we, Kevin. So are we. You know, I think you can play this back at half speed, maybe, Kyle. Yeah. Uh, can we do that? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Catch our breath a little bit. Uh, we had to we had to rush to get all those in. Uh, we'd like to study with other people, anyone that has questions about this or disagrees with what we've concluded. Yeah. Let's and, talk about it. And again, as we said earlier, if you happen to be such a person who has not believed that baptism was necessary before and thus haven't been baptized, Please carefully consider what has been said. We've we've had to hurry through it because there've been a, the, people through the centuries have tried desperately to some, for some reason exclude baptism as a necessary act of obedience, and so that's why these objections come up, and that's why we must deal with them. But the answer seems very clear: you must be baptized for the remission of sins. Well, why fight what the scriptures teach? Yeah. Why yeah. why have to go through all of the work to try and explain it away and redefine what the terms mean what do the scriptures say let's just submit to them you and i have no vested interest in getting people wet Uh, we don't we're not in cahoots with any kind of baptistry manufacturers we're just looking at what the scriptures teach and we're saying well that seems very clear why would i not just submit to what the scriptures teach yeah exactly all right Kyle, any comments from you? No, it's a good study. I think it's going to be to, we'll have to cover it again sometime. It's just continuing, you know. It's, it's always necessary. Yeah, it always. Yeah. always and it's, it's a good lesson. It's a good lesson to study, refresh our minds, but we'll have to keep talking and keep talking about baptism, and it's necessary. It's Kyle, necessary. Kyle, thanks for helping us yeah, get it out there good. tonight. Dad, thank you for your time and joy being with you. Thanks, Jacob. And uh, thank you for being on the other end of the line. hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. Again, we invite you, if you have a question, if you disagree, questions at college.com. 
We welcome your comments at any time. Hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study his inspired word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.